Welcome everyone to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast that explains how your local team stacks up against the rest of the NBA. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Nuck If You Buck with Devin Zanskis. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, and our two latest releases, Players Court and Bleachers and Boards. We also have two other team-focused NBA podcasts out right now, Grizz and Grind and Cavalier Central, with many more to come. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hello and welcome to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast brought to you by the Hoopheads Podcast Network. My name is Devin Zanskis and today I'm joined by uh, Mark Schindler. What's up, Mark? Hey, Devin. I'm good. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Mark is a contributor at SB Nation. He does a bit of writing there on the Pacers and he also hosts a Pacers podcast uh, called Indie Cornrows. So go ahead and check that out. Mark is also a SBC Sports Business Classroom alumni like myself and JJ from this past summer. And the Pacers, like our Milwaukee Bucks, as all of you at home must know by now, uh, lost in decisive fashion uh, to the Heat. Not really to the surprise of anyone, considering we were already down 0-3 in the series when we last recorded, and uh, that hadn't been done in 139 tries before. But, yep, that's where we're at. Uh, Mark, I'd like to ask you a couple questions just to for the fans to get to know you and uh, for me, myself, to learn a bit more about you. Uh, yeah, when sure. and why did you become an Indiana Pacers fan? Yeah, so um, it's actually really funny. I uh, I didn't get into – I didn't really play organized basketball. I mean, obviously, like I played at the blacktops and stuff and I'd go shoot around with my friends. But I, I played football and I boxed at a high level and I never – Never really got into basketball until uh, about, I think it was 2013. So it was the first Eastern Conference Finals run that the Pacers went on. And um, and Paul George went off, had an incredible, incredible series. And it was kind of his coordination as a player. Um, that was the first real basketball that I, I sat down and watched by choice. Uh, and I just fell okay. in love with that team. I grew up in Cleveland, so I uh, I knew who LeBron was. I went to Cavs games growing up, but I never had like the same appreciation for basketball. And um, but once LeBron was gone, of course, that's when I uh, when I fell in love with it. And it was really just hard for me to go back from the Pacers. So yeah, that's where I that's where I got stuck at. Okay, yeah, I think I did remember that story from SBC, but I thought it was interesting, and the fans would like to hear it themselves. Um, it's I also. I uh, have a similar background where I had hardly played organized basketball either. I played like on some rec teams in elementary school gyms when I was like a little kid and some intramurals. But other than that, also largely just uh, playing on blacktop. But I always wish I had gotten more involved. But as I've as I've grown, I've just become a bigger and bigger NBA fan. So, yeah, I totally that's what agree brings me that. here. <laughs> um. Also, Indy Cornrows is the name of your Indiana Pacers pod with SB Nation. And I thought it was a pretty cool name. And I thought it would maybe the namesake of the pod was maybe paying uh, homage to Steven Jackson or Jermaine O'Neal back in those early 2000s when that team was a title contender there around the Malice and the Palace days. Um is that sort of where that name comes from? I'm also just curious because I think it's cool and that's what I thought of it. I'll be completely honest. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I'll have to reach out to my editor, Tom, and ask him about that because, I, I mean, it's been around longer than I have been watching basketball. Um, but I actually think that's a really clever idea and that might be why because uh, SB Nation came out in, I think that was the late 2000s, uh, early 2010. Oh, so, okay. that would be like just after that. And I mean, Indiana is full of cornfields, man. Same thing with Ohio, where I'm oh, from. Oh, wow. Uh, there's yeah. just corn everywhere uh, when you're not by a city. So I think that's part of it, too. But it, it would make sense. And I mean, TJ Warren has the cornrows most of the time. Yes. So it, it all makes TJ. sense now, right? Yeah, totally. And wow, the whole cornfield part totally went over my head, despite the fact that I'm a Midwestern boy myself. <laughs> but 
Well, um, so getting into more of the real basketball uh, topics here, I was wondering if uh, you had any thoughts on what the Pacers would need to do in order for them to make the next step towards title contention. And then from there, I, I'll also touch on uh, what the Bucks apparently need to do because they've really disappointed in these playoffs. Yeah. I have thoughts on the Bucks as well, for sure. Um, oh, please. I think with the Pacers, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical um, normally when it comes to basketball and team building just because I think um, if something can go wrong, it will. Uh, or, you know, a lot of times just things that you don't expect to happen will happen. Like the Sabonis getting plantar fasciitis before the bubble. Like that was something totally unexpected. And I think the Pacers still would have lost to the Heat with Domas. Um, but it, it certainly throws a wrench. Um, I think they're, they're probably one or two guys away from really being a title contender. And when I say title contender, I mean uh, a team that could feasibly make a conference finals. Because I think, you know, once you make the conference finals, you have a chance, obviously. Um and I think a lot depends on, you know, this offseason is going to be huge. Um, Kevin yeah. Pritchard, who's the Pacers basketball operations head, um, he spoke in his post-mortem presser last week about how um, the, the trade market's going to be active for the NBA. And when, you know, I, in my opinion, I took that as GM speak for saying the Pacers will be active. And that makes sense. A lot's riding on Victor Oladipo and, and his relationship with the front office and, and team moving forward. And, um I think it's definitely likely a one of the two bigs, Miles Turner, Demonis Bonus, will get traded. I lean more towards Turner, um, and I am not entirely certain that we'll see Victor in a in a Pacers uniform at the start of next season either. But regardless, there's a lot uh, in flux for Indiana. I, I think I'm going to have a totally different opinion of the team uh, come you know November or December when we're done with free agency and, and the draft. Yeah, definitely. So. Right there, you said that you think the Pacers are more likely to trade Turner uh, between him and Sabonis. Do you think that's the right direction for the Pacers, or would you rather them trade Sabonis? Uh, I think a lot of it depends on, A, you know, who you bring in through free agency and who, uh, well, the Pacers only have the MLE and the, the biannual exception this year to bring somebody in, and then obviously veteran minimum veteran contracts after that. Um, so you're not going to bring in a crazy amount of talent. Uh, you could bring in some nice supporting cast guys, uh, but you know, just depending on whether or not victory is traded or any other kind of trade happens with, uh, some of the surrounding guys on the roster to, to, to up the talent level. I mean, I think it just really depends. You know, if you have Sabonis, um, I think Sabonis is clearly the better player right now, but I, I have questions on, on how the offense works with him and he's not a great defender. He's a better defender than I think he gets credit for. Um, but you know, I think he was sixth or seventh in the league this year in total touches. And for, a you know, and he's, he's very productive. He's a good player. The piss, gosh, the Pacers run a lot of stuff out of DHO at the elbows through Demonis bonus. Um, but the issue is so much of it runs through him. Um, it, it can clog up the floor a little bit when, when things get tight down the stretch. Uh, with Miles, I mean, he brings so much. He's probably the third or fourth best rim protector in the league. Uh, there are very yeah. few guys who are better at it than he is, and he has some switchability on the perimeter. He's just a really smart, intuitive defender. Um, he really has not figured things out on the offensive end still, um, but he just turned 24, and Domas is 24 as well. But I think if I look at Miles, and if he's able to figure things out, I think he could be um, – a player who maybe fits better on a championship team. I don't know if he'll ever be as good as Sabonis, but I think if you're able to get, you know, a wing player that is 90% of the player Sabonis is in terms of talent um, and you have Turner maximized, maybe that means more in the long run. But ultimately I think that the team will, will stick with Sabonis because you have a higher floor that way probably. Yeah, that all makes sense. I think, Definitely as like a small market team too, I feel like you're a lot more likely to hang on to an all-star talent. It's just a lot harder, um, maybe not so much harder to recover, but well, maybe harder to recover if if things do go wrong and then it's, it's really hard to, especially as a GM, uh, face the press there if, uh, after you do face or after you do trade an all-star player and then things go wrong. But yeah, I kind of, I do like Turner, 
more than Sabonis in the long run just because of his fit in the modern NBA. But yeah, I, th- I think either either way, whichever the direction they go, I've definitely underrated the Pacers' talent beyond those two. I mean, if you look at the roster, they just have a solid starting five. Obviously, Brogdon, we'll get more into him and in contrast to where the Bucks are now. When when they when they have a healthy roster, Brogdon, Oladipo, now TJ Warren after what he's shown in the bubble. We'll we'll see. I obviously he'll more so regress to the mean um and won't quite be the same score he'll be in the bubble most likely, but I've heard analysts saying that TJ was one of the most improved uh defensive players in the league this year he was actually i wrote a piece about that he is one of the most really i can i'll send that to you after but uh not to plug myself but it was uh it was really interesting going back and looking at his defense last year compared to this year and i talked to some of uh one of his assistant coaches and a a couple video coordinators in the league uh to get a better grasp on it and it's it's pretty apparent that he's he's jumped up a bit he's not like a guy who's going to be a a lockdown defender but he's shown flashes of being able to really uh, hang with his man on the perimeter and he, he has some things he could clean up but uh, leaps and bounds compared to last year yeah i mean he has really good size for a forward and and also another he's also improved on the offensive end from what i understand too he's taken a lot more threes with the pacers than he did with the suns from my understanding which is huge especially when you have sabonis doing doing that uh dribble handoff game and yeah, it's definitely necessary to space the floor around Sabonis. Um, moving on to, I kind of touched on Brogdon there, and that was that was a huge loss for the Bucks last season, and kind of my first attempt at at creating content, especially for the Bucks, was <laughs> I wrote I, I wrote a little article that I posted on Reddit after I had been beside myself all summer about the Bucks not going all in and just bringing back the whole team after we had gone six games into the conference finals, basically saying like, hey, we're going to be all right. Bledsoe's an all-defensive player. Maybe his defense uh, has a higher ceiling than, than Brogdon's kind of being like a jack-of-all-trades, and we did well uh, getting back some... Uh, Draft pieces in the trade, Wesley Matthews getting the veteran shooter and Kyle Korver. But um, obviously the Bucks did not really perform to the level that we would have expected in the playoffs. And certainly having Brogdon there would have definitely helped. So some some ideas moving forward that we definitely heard in the in the media ethers was uh, whether or not the Bucks should go all in for Chris Paul. Now, in order for them to do that, if we're not looking to move Brooke, which now, if the, if the Thunder were to demand Brooke in a split second, the Bucks would offer him up, but that's just not likely to happen because they already have Steven Adams. Brooke, really in a vacuum, isn't nearly as useful on other teams He's definitely a more modern center than a lot of centers, so he could be he could be almost as useful on other teams, but for the for the Thunder that's not necessarily the case and Chris Paul is just a much better player. And we also have salary to send back without Brooke and without sending back Giannis or Chris. So my idea was to send Bledsoe, Hill and Ursan, which would include guaranteeing Ursan's contract. We'd also probably have to send Dante as he's pretty much our only real prospect at this point since we haven't uh, moved, since we haven't really played DJ at all. And yeah, after that, um, we, we would be able to do the trade because we would be uh, matching uh, 125% of the, out, of the outgoing salary in Chris Paul. Uh, plus the $100,000 in that deal. I think that definitely would raise our ceiling for next season, especially if now with the disappointment, the concerns of retaining Giannis uh, have definitely increased. Um, But yeah, also with Chris Paul's age, off the top of my head, he's at least 35 or 36. There is 
definitely disaster potential after giving up depth and depth and taking in a forty million dollar contract. Uh, Mark, you said you had some thoughts on the Bucks' future. I'm wondering if they pertained at all to a Chris Paul trade or maybe Giannis's future. Um, it's a safe space. You're you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome to share your thoughts. We've we've had time to come to terms that you know bad things do happen to NBA teams, but hopefully. It, Hopefully that won't be the case for the Bucks. Yeah, so I think right off the bat, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, it, it took me a minute to decompress. Well, not a minute. It took me a day to really decompress because you know I'm not a Bucks fan, but I was really high for this team just because my entire life. I mean, the last time the Bucks were really good, I was four years old. You know, I mean, when Ray Allen uh, and that team took the Sixers to Game Seven in the 01 Conference Finals. That was the last time the Bucks were really good. I mean, they had a couple of like first round playoff exits after that. Um, so I've, I, you know, and I, I, I appreciate small markets and I love seeing good team building. And I think the Bucks really had something going this year. I mean, clearly, I mean, they were a historically good team. Um, so watching every loss, you know, I, I watched the Orlando series. I didn't take too much from it that I thought was anything to be nervous about. I thought it was just, you know, first round jitters, uh, yeah. getting back in the swing of things still. And then, they dropped the first game in Miami and it was like earth shattering a little bit because that, I mean, my entire thing this year has been the Bucks are out of the Eastern Conference Finals ju- just about no matter what, you know, unless Boston or, um, or, um, Toronto goes on some crazy run and that didn't happen. And I think, you know, there were a lot of people calling for Mike Budenholzer's head, which I think is unwarranted. I know that there was, well, we can get into that in a bit, but, you know, just speaking on that trade. I think it's tough because Eric Bledsoe is a really – he's a really good player. He's one of the best defenders in the league on ball at the point guard position. He's maybe one of the best chasers in the league. and I mean like chasing around screens, uh, coming off for rear contests on guys to make sure they don't don't get clean looks off you know pick and rolls and pulling up from mid-range. I mean he's a really good player. But the playoffs, I mean that final game, the shots he was taking, and um, I mean you, you know from watching them probably a little bit more than I do. It's tough, man. He just doesn't have in the playoffs. And I think a lot of it's confidence and um, it's just in his head now. And I think with it, it's been three seasons in a row now in Milwaukee that he's performed this way in the playoffs. I think you do have to look for a way to get off of him. I'm not sure that it's Chris Paul um, just because I, you know, I, yeah, I think it's certainly you wanna, tough to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I mean, I think. Chris Paul this year had the healthiest season he's had since 2014-15, his second to last season with with the Clippers. Um, and I just wonder if he's able to replicate that. You mentioned already, I think he was 36 this year, 35 or 36. And that's not to belittle what he's done. I mean, he was a top 15, top 20 player this year. Um, and without him, Oklahoma City probably doesn't even make the playoffs. But at the same time, you, you account for his age and, and then the salary hit. And if he becomes... Uh, an, an injury liability on the salary he has remaining still. I think that's really tough for the Bucks to swallow, and you can't really get out of that. Uh, I, I, I'm not really sure where you go from here, I, but I personally don't lean towards going for Chris Paul just because I think it's a massive risk doing that. But at the same time, you have to be risky. I'm really excited to see what John Horst decides to do. Um, hopefully, ownership will not hamstring him into uh, sign and trading somebody that's very useful and sending them away in an offseason before, you know, they really need him. Uh, if you can't tell, I think Malcolm Brogdon really would have helped this team. Um, I'm not going to be the person who thinks that, you know, this team lost because they didn't have Malcolm Brogdon, but he yeah. certainly would have helped because he's somebody else who can initiate offense. Uh, he just fit really well alongside Giannis and that whole team. And I get the injury issues. Um, he, ha- I mean, he's been an injury prone guy. He had injury issues in Indiana this year. But I think if you re-sign Malcolm at his money, that he ended up getting, that's a more movable contract than Chris Paul's. And I mean, he's a younger guy. Um, he's obviously not quite as good of a player, but I think you had somebody who made sense. And I know there were some some things about him wanting to get out of Milwaukee. Um, yeah. But I think if they'd paid him, then he would have stayed. Um, but ultimately, that comes down more on ownership than the front office. But that's my really long rant about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, 
and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Well, yeah, the whole Brogdon conundrum is really complicated um, because I get part of that like little article that I spoke on that I wrote on Reddit was basically kind of playing devil's advocate for ownership saying like, hey, well, this is the last year we can we can maybe avoid the tax and then we and then if we avoid the tax this year, it's also avoiding the repeater tax in future years, which will help us kind of maintain sustain success in the long run and maintain depth around Giannis because I for for most of the year and my idea of of our depth sort of diminished uh, throughout the playoffs especially going against uh going against the heat there who seemed to have the depth advantage um but yeah the the timing the timing of the Bledsoe extension too at the time he was he was considered to be an all-star candidate, and we we were able to sign him for for less than twenty million dollars. And for especially at the time, as an above-average starter at the point guard level, that was that was definitely a positive value trade at the beginning. So obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. He's really dropped the ball in the past uh, two years in the playoffs. He's his numbers are. I mean, roughly the same as last year. His scoring was down. But and his overall field goal percentage was worse, but he took less threes and shot at a better clip and and grabbed more boards and dished out more assists, did a little more of the of the small stuff. But I mean, I definitely would rather have Brogdon in hindsight, even with even if we wouldn't have gotten those those trade chips or Wes and especially looking at some of the numbers with Brogdon this playoffs he he averaged he averaged 21 and a half points 10 assists four rebounds and obviously that's in 40 minutes per game too which he definitely would have gotten on the bucks which is a huge issue throughout this playoffs but he's also second in he had the second highest drive percentage according to nba.com uh, just behind Luca at 22% of his possessions and then had the fifth highest points on those drives. And that alone would have been huge in this series, especially when our defense or excuse me, our offense stalls out and you just have Eric Bledsoe as he does, just like hesitating at the top of the arc, like not knowing what to do and then just chucking up an awful three. Yeah. So it's, (laughs) it's actually really funny. You mentioned the depth a little bit and that was something I talked about, you know, prior to the trade deadline, that I was really hoping for with Milwaukee because I remember going back and watching some of their losses and seeing what was going wrong for them and and in some of their closer games. And I think that Milwaukee had one of the deepest teams in the league, but also you have to account for the fact they don't have anybody off the bench who can initiate offense. So, I mean, George Hill, he's a solid defender, very good three-point shooter, and he can run pick and rolls, uh, but he's not somebody who you're counting on to take it to the rim and break down a defense. And there's nobody on the bench who can do that. Um, So, I think that's somebody that you really miss. And I, I tweeted it out actually the when I was watching the last game. Uh, they're a team I would really like to see try and, you know, acquire a, a real six man. Uh, and, you know, you kind of just swallow some of the defensive issues that you're going to have with them. I mean, like a, take a guy like, I'm not saying to grab Jordan Clarkson, but if you were to sign a guy like Jordan Clarkson, I think he makes a lot of sense for this team because you need some of that instant offense off the bench when, um, when things weren't clicking with the starting unit. And I mean, that, the the one win against the Heat series was it was all Chris Middleton. Everything went off of Chris Middleton facing up and, and trying to score from from eighteen to to twelve feet. And I mean that it was asking a lot out of him. He had a hell of a game, but you can't do that for an entire series. And obviously, I think one thing too that I really look at. I mean, Giannis to me, he gets treated like he's a wing, um, and I think sometimes it's media narrative that pushes him as a wing, but also. I mean, the way that the offenses ran through him is a little baffling to me sometimes. I think it works really well in the regular season, but as we've seen in the playoffs, I mean, when guys really wall him off um, and force the shooters to to make shots, 
Um, it, it's not super effective. I mean, Giannis is a fine passer for his um, – a fine passer in general, really good passer for his size. Um, but I think I would really like to see him utilized a little bit differently instead of him trying to initiate all the offense. I think if if you have at least a secondary initiator next to him who's running some more of the offense then, and, and taking a little bit of that load off of him, maybe using him more as a role man or, or just something as a screener, Anything, because I mean, him and Chris Middleton when they ran pick and roll together was really effective. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it, I mean, we hardly saw it in the playoffs. Um, so I think that's another thing I look at as well. And the last thing I would say on the Bucks, you know, I'm actually working on an article about this right now. Um, very similar to the Houston Rockets, everybody looks at the Bucks and the Rockets and they talk about them being great shooting teams, and I think that's a little bit of an error. Um, not to discount people and their thoughts, but like, I mean, you look at the Bucks. As a team, I think they were in the bottom 10 in terms of three-point shooting percentage this year. And same thing with Houston. I mean, they shot uh, – I believe they were one and two in three shot this year. But then the percentages is the problem. So you look at – you know, they they have a lot of guys who shoot but aren't necessarily great shooters. Like Pat Connaughton is a below-average shooter, um, but he shoots a lot. Um, obviously, Kyle Korver is a great shooter. I mean, Eric Bledsoe shot a lot of threes below average in, from from three. Um I'm trying to think who else. I mean, Ersan Ilyasova was below average from three, I believe. Uh, Brooke Lopez shot barely 30% from three this year. Like there are a lot of guys who will shoot it and they're going to take those threes because that's part of the system that's put in place, but they're not going to hit them in a smaller, in, in a vacuum. So like it's the same thing with Houston, like guys like Eric Gordon and um, Austin Rivers who are, there's a lot of volume shooters, but not a lot of guys you're going to count on to hit a shot when you need it most, Right. Um, so I think that's part of the problem because you can sag off those guys in the playoffs. Um, and it's almost like it's like a math problem. You look at it over 82 games when you're re- relying on on hitting statistical variables all the time. You know, when you're relying on, OK, if we shoot this many threes, our chances of winning are this or whatever it, it works out to. That works great over a huge sample size. But when you bring it down to a six or seven game series, uh, there's a lot more chance for outliers. And so a lot of times the outliers when you're a shooting team that doesn't have great shooters are going to go in the negative. So I think that's what I look at with this team. They need to have one or two guys who is a much better shot and also just the guy who can initiate off the bench and utilize Giannis differently. There's a lot, a lot of different things. But um, I, I think the last thing I would add on that too, just don't lose sight of how awesome this team was this year. I mean, this was – they had the third – Third best defense, third best relative defense. So, but when I mean relative defense, um, it's in terms of you compare it to the league average defense that year. So they had the third best relative defense since 1990, and they were better. They had a better defensive rating uh, relative to their their peers than the 2004 Pistons. So, like, just to, to put that into in, into into thoughts, that's incredible. One of the best defenses of all time. Uh, and just an incredible team. So obviously things didn't go how you want them to in the playoffs, but I think there's a lot to look forward to for next year and there'll definitely be some changes. Yeah, definitely. And just to go back on on a couple of your points there, that was probably the most, (laughs) um, not to gloss over the fact that we should probably remind everybody listening and maybe even myself as I'm talking that we definitely shouldn't take this team for granted, um, especially with now the media really having its peak moment in like Giannis uh, free agency (laughs) speculation but yeah I mean I I know I I never want to I never want to take Giannis for granted and even beyond Giannis this team especially being in a small market and and the years that we've gone it gone through before before last season, we hadn't won a had won a first round series since two thousand one. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you for the reminder that we need to we need to definitely appreciate what we have because because um, who who knows uh, there there are a lot of teams out there in other small markets who like the Kings or the Hornets. I don't want to talk down on any franchise, but we've been there in the past that that really haven't seen success, especially material success in a really long time but I definitely liked your point there and Jordan Clark Clarkson even if it isn't him specifically I kind of like the idea of like his kind of his prototype for lack of a better word of having someone as just a creator 
um, maybe in lieu of some of those shooters because I saw that in some of my when I was doing my write-up previously in that like the biggest thing is we we basically just replaced Brogdon who was who was an incredible creator for everyone else on the offense with with more shooters and didn't really replace him with any more shot creation so getting someone to kind of fill that void would be huge I agree with you on that and yeah definitely getting Giannis involved on the pick and roll would be would be huge I've talked on it touched on it before where the Bucks are uh are definitely like bottom five in pick and roll offense as far as like frequency in the entire NBA. And considering we have Giannis who would maybe be the most effective in that role out of anyone in the NBA, like that that just kind of seems silly. But again, that's also because we don't have other creators for him. Bledsoe is he's he's maybe capable of it, but maybe in at best, like middle of the pack in terms of starting point guards who would be able to do so. Um, moving on, I kind of wanted to just get some of your thoughts on some of the recent Bucks Heat matchups and also just sort of the evolution of the Pacers throughout the past two seasons as they've uh, transitioned from those Paul George days. And in remarkable fashion, I mean, you don't often... Uh, get get a get a uh, superstar player to demand a trade and then end up at basically the same level you were at before. And hopefully the Bucks aren't in that in that position. Even though Giannis did come out, I don't remember the source, but saying he wanted to demand a trade, not necessarily saying that he was he was saying that he's certainly going to be here. But but hey, that helps. Maybe yes, it helps definitely. listeners out there. But I was wondering, um, particularly um, this year, I felt now like many other teams, the Bucks did play fairly well against the Pacers. Giannis's size really prevailed there, and and kind of being able to fight fight through some of the Pacers defenders. Even though I'd imagine Miles Turner would be a pretty good match for him. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on it specifically. Um, if you recall better than I do, whether um, Turner would be a typical matchup for Giannis. Um, if if he isn't matched up against him as much, why that is, and if you would like to see that more. And I especially think of that because I remember last year the Bucks had had a they lost by a significant margin, maybe around like 20 points last season against the Pacers. And that was when Giannis was actually stifled by the defense of perhaps Miles Turner, but also a Thad Young, who I who I suspected would be uh, a really significant loss for the Pacers, even though you guys have recovered significantly. So thoughts on the evolution of the Pacers? Yeah, um, so that's actually a really good point. I think... Um, I personally think the team missed Thad Young a lot this year. Even if he'd just been in a bench role, I think that would have been helpful. But uh, there wasn't really a true four on this team, which I think hurt them it's a lot in, in lineup versatility. Um, and Thad actually, over the past two or three years, um, I don't, again, I don't, I should have had the numbers right for me. I didn't think about it. He, uh, was one of the best one-on-one defenders against Giannis in the league. Obviously, you're never going to fully stop him one-on-one, but he actually gave Giannis a lot of problems. He's just a really smart, crafty defender, and he's a guy oh, who yeah. should have gotten some all-defense consideration when when he was in Indiana, but he did not, uh, much to my chagrin. Um, yeah, Miles drew the last matchup against the Bucks, but prior to that, it was kind of a by-committee thing, um, and it was never very effective. I mean, Miles was actually pretty good, uh, in the one matchup that he had against Giannis, but Giannis was just that much better. I think he's uh, Miles is really good. He's got a lot of length and he's a quick t- quick twitch athlete for somebody his size. But Giannis is just like so much more of that, and I think it's just tough for Miles to contend with that in a one on one scenario. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of strength. It's actually kind of funny. He's a uh, he reminds me a lot of like if you look back at it, kind of more traditional power forwards from the 90s, guys who maybe, you know, were a little bit leaner, um, who were shot blockers, or maybe I would mean more like a tweener between the four or five. That's how I look at Miles. He doesn't have the okay. lower body strength to really contend with with a lot of great post players. Like, he'll have issues with 
uh, Nikola Vucevic, or, or he's had issues with Jokic the last couple of years. Joel Embiid makes him look like he's not an NBA player. Um, I mean, same thing with Andre Drummond, just guys who have like a ton of strength, uh, especially in their lower bodies. I mean, Miles doesn't have a lot of bend or flexion in his in his body. So he's, he kind of struggles a little bit in those kind of matchups cause he can't really leverage anything. Um, but in terms of his rim protection, I mean, yeah, he's, he's great there. Uh, but yeah, the, the team just really has nobody who can, who can guard, uh, the Bucks. It, I mean, who, who can guard Giannis. And I think yeah. that's where you definitely miss having a guy like Thad. Yeah, definitely. I was, yeah, I definitely sounded like a huge Thad fan leading up to that. It's it hard not like to. You I don't know if you've that. ever seen him interviewed, but he is like one of the most genuine people I've ever ever seen. An oh, really? And I'm I'm really uh, unfortunate. It's unfortunate that he wasn't with the team this year. A, because he would have helped them a lot. But B, um, I have partial media availability, so sometimes I, you know, it's really? less now because I mean, well, it's none now because the team. Once the season's over, there's no media availability. Um, but I would have loved to. To, to talk with Thad sometime. He seems like a really good dude, and he's uh, certainly well-missed by the Pacers. Yeah, um, well, that's that's always great to hear, but not surprising coming from a, a veteran like himself. It feels like he's been in the league forever. Like, I think he was drafted in either 2009 or 2010, somewhere in there. Okay, I'll look it I, up. Guess that, I guess that's not, that's not that long, and I suppose it's 2020, but... That's pretty much like the length of my NBA fandom. But do you know if he's has he had any all defensive appearances throughout his no, career? No, he's had none. Uh, yeah. He's a, like I think he definitely should have got. Oh wait, no, he was drafted in two thousand uh, two thousand seven. Okay, never mind. Yeah, because he's thirty two. He just turned thirty two a couple months ago. But no, he uh, he was on the all rookie team. That's the only team he's ever made, uh, which is kind of surprising. I mean, he had years where like. He had a couple borderline All Star years uh, yeah. with uh, with Brooklyn. He put up like a fifteen and nine season. He had an eighteen and six season. And he's he's interesting. So I think if he was a guy who uh, if he was a prospect now and got dropped into the modern NBA, he'd be we'd look at him really differently. Because when he was playing with the Sixers, he was kind of always caught between a position because um, he doesn't have a great handle, so he struggles to play the three. Uh, but he's more of like the kind of athlete that plays the three. Um, and when he'd play up at the four, he wasn't quite as good of a rebounder. He's never been an awesome rebounder. He's like a good team rebounder, but in terms of uh, like being an individual rebounder, he's not great at it. Um, but, you know, I think it, it, he's he's had a really interesting career. Um, I've actually – I reached out to his PR people to try and do an interview one time, but it was the middle of the season, so I, of course, was not able to get in touch with him. But um, someday. But, yeah, no, he's uh, – He's he's had a really interesting career. Yeah, huh? Interesting. Yeah, if he feels he feels like someone who who probably was on the fringe of like all defense for a lot of his career, but just didn't quite make it. I heard people advocating in the past for like, why don't we just have three defensive teams? And I think that I would, am for that. Sweet. I think that there should be three all defensive teams. I think there's enough good defenders in the NBA that there should be. Yeah, I think that also just speaks to like kind sort of sort of adding to my point earlier about like realizing that that maybe the bucks weren't necessarily in like the the upper upper echelons and depth in the nba and that's and that's not to say that like we weren't a deep team or we didn't have good bench pieces but the league is just the 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 league is just full of talent right now and i i don't i think we could definitely be able to we we we'd be able to add expansion teams and not really take away from the product at all, but uh, I, I get how that can be tough in uh, today's climate. Uh, but yeah, I just also I guess before before we move on from there, I also just wanted to to commend the Pacers because I mean they gave up some huge pieces in in Bojan, Thad, and Wes, but it um, especially for your guys for your guys' sake, maybe to to. Bucks fans chagrin uh, with Brogdon being one of those big contributors for you guys. Uh, have, replacing those guys with Brogdon and TJ Warren for literally nothing with that laughable trade and Justin Holiday uh, being another good veteran uh, bench piece. Uh, having, having another veteran shooter there uh, definitely did bode well for you guys. Um, 
Move, moving on from there then, I kind of wanted to get your perspective as the Pacers were kind of in an interesting situation there beyond their first round exit and even before then with Nate McMillan. Um, so I had heard he obviously got a one-year extension before the series and then was fired thereafter after the sweep, which... I mean, the Bucks also didn't do very well, but I also agree with you that we shouldn't necessarily be calling for Bud's job now. And I've heard Nate McMillan being a coach of the year candidate in the past, maybe not real consideration, but I mean, he had four good years there. That maybe is somewhat long for a coach these days, but kind of a weird timeline there for a coach. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share your thoughts. Yeah, um... So a lot of stuff has actually come out uh, via reporting of, of some stuff that was going on in the locker room um, and some internal issues that were going on with with Coach McMillan. Not to say that he's a bad person or anything. There were just um, there was some real confliction there, and so it makes sense now. At the time, it was very confusing and very you know if you know anything about the Pacers, I mean Herb Simon, our owner, is the, just the Simon family in general does not shell out money. So uh, to guarantee his contract because yeah. that's what it was they guaranteed the the final year on his contract um oh so it I, wasn't I, an I extension was. was it i think it was uh well it's it came out like it was an extension but it was more of his contract wasn't really guaranteed for next year i, I can't entirely oh. remember what it was it was something like that um okay but regardless they left money on the table with it which is very unlike the simons because they have not paid the luxury tax since 2004 um, so yeah, very averse to doing that. Um, so yeah. it, it just signifies a, I think the team's definitely willing to maybe not go into the luxury tax right now. Cause I don't think they're, they're at the level to do that. Um, but I think in the future they might because Herb Simon's 85, he's getting older. I, I think that he's, he's pretty, it, just by my accounts, he seems interested in, in, in going into it, but you know, largely the Pacers just had the same issue that the Bucks did a little bit. Um, Obviously not as talented as the Bucks, but they got out coached. I think that's pretty pretty clear. I, I you know, Nate McMillan is a very stubborn guy, and I, he's he's in his post game pressers. He would routine, routinely say, "When uh, what could the team have done better?" And this is throughout his tenure. He'd say, "We just need to execute," and that that's his common saying. I don't remember what Bud's <laughs> is. I know I've seen Bud uh, talk more, and I think it's almost always something along the lines of, yeah, our guys just need to make their shots or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely really just short, broad comments, yeah. not really giving the media anything. Yeah. And that's not to berate yeah. me. I mean, he's a very good coach and he got a lot out of the guys, but I think it just, it was time for, uh, for the team to move on and, and, and find a, a different guy moving forward because clearly it wasn't working out. I think this team, there was no way, not that there was no way they would beat the heat, but I think that it should have been a six or seven game series. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's confusing. And uh, the biggest thing, I don't know if you saw it was, uh, screening for Bam Adebayo. So they were, um, they kept hunting mismatches that weren't mismatches. So they were hunting to get Bam Adebayo on screens. So they would, you know, Malcolm Brogdon would call for a screen and, and get Bam Adebayo switched onto him and ISO him. Um, and it was it was awful. It didn't work well at all. I mean, you've seen you just saw Bam play for for five games. Um, he's an incredible perimeter defender for his size, and he's not going to get caught out on the perimeter. Uh, so, I mean, that was they talked about it as being part of their game plan to try and get him to foul out, and you know that makes sense to an extent. But at the same time, he's not a guy that you can really just force to foul out by driving at him all the time. So it was a it was a confusing game plan that they really did not. Uh, not give up and it came out that a lot of players were frustrated with the offense and how things were working so it was a that was a major reason for it yeah wow okay i definitely i watched a bit of of the heat pacers series and to me it seemed like a fairly close series so maybe that added to some of my like i guess hesitation with the mcmillan firing because even though it was only a four game series it seemed close from what i saw but I didn't watch it super close. But from what from what you're saying there, that is interesting because off the top of my head, Bam Adebayo may be the last big that I would want to have like my to be switched out covering my guard. I feel like he would be the most successful out of like maybe any big in the NBA. So that's seems like 
quite a silly proposition there for uh, Nick, Nate McMillan. Do you have any uh, coaching candidates that you'd like to like to see the Pacers go after? I've heard Chauncey Billups, Becky Hammond, Dave Yeager, of course, Mike D'Antoni's getting a lot of buzz. Um, anyone that you would like the Heat to consider over others? Um, you know, honestly, I, I think it's, it's just going to depend on what the team does. I think um, once the team is set in free agency, I'll have a better idea. But obviously, there's going to be a coach hired before then. Um, I don't know. I'm interested in Mike D'Antoni just because I think uh, what he can do on the offensive end and just kind of maximize the players on the roster. I'd be excited to see what he can do with that. Um, and I do think the defensive things get overblown. Houston's been a really good defensive team his entire tenure there, except for like one year they were an average defense. But I mean, people forget in the 17-18 year when they almost made the finals, they were the second ranked defense in the league, if I remember correctly, second or first. Um, wow. And they were really good this year. They had the best defense in the playoffs. Uh, they had with their after they traded Clint Capella, I think they had the 10th ranked defense um, before the season, you know, just in regular season games. I mean, so I think that gets overblown. Um, and I, I I do have questions about, you know, how many guys he plays. But at the same time, the Rockets have like about six and a half serviceable NBA players. So I get why his rotations are a little short. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think he makes sense. And with the team, really, if they're going to go in a new direction and try to be um, a higher level team than they have been, then I don't see why you wouldn't go out and try and hire a coach like Mike. Um, but at the same time, I could also see them going for a younger coach. But I, you know, there aren't really a lot of super proven coaches out on the on the um, on the market this year. And obviously, I mean, we're talking about Mike D'Antoni like he is. I think he will be uh, by all accounts. I think him and Daryl Morey are probably both going to be out from Houston uh, just from everything I've heard and, and, and seen reported. Um, I am skeptical of Dave Yeager. I've heard really good things about him just as a tactician and um, with players, but he's had issues with run-ins with both front offices that he's worked with. Uh, so I, 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 I'm not entirely sure that I would be super open to him unless, you know, there's some very clear, uh, communication between both sides. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe Chauncey Billups would make sense in a vacuum, uh, somewhere, like maybe he makes an impact right away somehow. Uh, but very similar to Steve Nash. I mean, it just guys with no coaching experience. I get that they played the game at a really high level, um, and Chauncey, I don't think he made the Hall of Fame. He's a borderline Hall of Fame guy for me. Um, so not quite the level of player Nash was, but still really damn good. Um, but I, I just – I personally am really interested to see what happens with uh, with Brooklyn. Because, I mean, you saw with the Bucks. I mean, Jason Kidd was in his second year by the time he was with the Bucks, Second or third year by the time he was with the Bucks. But um, he had a lot of things that he had to iron out as a coach. And I think it's going to be yeah. – pretty clear for for nash and and chauncey Billups as well if, if he gets hired um that they have a lot to to learn still without having real coaching experience but uh, no i think mike d'antoni would be the number one for me just because from everything i know that's that's who the pacers are really keyed in on yeah he definitely seems to be the number one candidate for any coaching job out there at this point i because in my mind he basically as long as you have buy-in from from players on your roster like maybe he didn't at all points when he was in New York but as long as you you have players who buy in and his his style just seems to fit more and more with the modern NBA um he like you're basically guaranteed a top offense with him and and if you have if you have the athletes and individual defenders like both the Pacers uh and the Bucks um he he would definitely be able to add on the offense offensive end uh, i also just wanted to quick address address uh bud's coaching position we touched on it a little bit earlier um but just to get my kind of stance out there for all the listeners i'm definitely not calling for bud's job let's <laughs> as mark was saying earlier let's not forget how how impressive this Bucks team was in the regular season. And although the regular season is different than the playoffs and the way the, you, you play the regular season to get to the playoffs, obviously, but I mean, being, being a number one seed two, two years in a row, having a historic 
defense two years in a row. We we definitely having 60 wins and then being at a higher pace for wins. Um, he's definitely proven enough to get more than two seasons with this team, despite some of his shortcomings in the playoffs. And you also have to consider uh, when you're firing a guy, what you're going to get for him. And, and at a certain point, maybe maybe it is more important to just shake things up and get a different voice despite a talent disparity or experience disparity with coaches but i don't think i don't think bud has really got enough time where it's to the point where we need a new face and i don't think on the market we would really be able to get anyone who who would be better him just just besides maybe mike d'antoni yeah, I mean, That's I think I the thing I'd it. say about Bud is like, um, you know, it's something that I, I thought about and, you know, it's been talked. I don't know if you listen to Nerd or She Wrote, it's on The Athletic. That's Dave Dufour, Mo DeKeel, and Seth Part now. Um, you know, I uh, they talked about, and I've talked about it too, like I was mentioning, that um, the team really just, they they thrive this year by being really good at at their, I, I don't, I hate saying system, but it, it is a system to an extent. But they, the Bucks thrived at being really good at driving to the basket, getting layups, and getting open threes, and just shutting teams down on defense through through drop coverage. Um, but they didn't have any built-in fail safes. Like there was, there were no backups, and you saw that in the playoffs. And I think that's what I look for for next year. You know, I really, I think the front office just has to have like a very open talk with Mike Budenholzer and say, hey, we are okay with losing five or six more games next year by you taking time to make sure that these things are set up for the playoffs so that we do have those things built in when, when, if something bogs down, I think that's important. I mean, you can, I, I think you can't discount being on pace for a 70 win season. That's where it came down to for me. I mean, like that's, it, that's something special to get this group to 70 wins or, or on pace for it, you know? Um, but I, I do think you have to look at tweaking some things because in the end, while the regular season is really great, um, it, you know fans are going to be pissed if you don't win the in the playoffs. So I think it's it's always going to come down to that. Um, but I you know I'm confident that he'll make some changes, and I, I maybe people will think I'm crazy for that considering how things uh, have gone thus far. But uh, it's only been two years. It feels like he's been there for like half a decade, but it's only been two years. True, especially because this season has feels like it's lasted like a year and a half. Yeah, glad, glad we're on the same page there. Definitely still on Team Bud. He deserves more of a chance, especially given his success, even if it was largely in the regular season. And yeah, here's to here's to your point of hopefully um, Bud and the front office get together and they really emphasize having uh, having something else to throw out there against the opposing defenses. Um, now, uh, just to close out here, I kind of wanted to get into the NBA Finals predictions that you and I have. Um, similar to what I did last week with JJ, I um, instead of uh, predictions for any playoff series, since uh, neither of our teams are there, I kind of wanted to get your, your Finals predictions now and what they were uh, heading into the playoffs. Yeah, so uh, heading into the playoffs, I had... I'm trying to remember. I think I had Bucks Clippers, um, and now I, I mean, obviously Bucks are out. Um, I think it's probably if 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 you had to force me one way, I think I would go Boston and uh, and uh, and the Clippers. Um, I was hopeful that we would get Bucks Rockets, honestly, just because that oh, that would uh, be fun. That matchup that at the beginning of the bubble was freaking awesome. That was one of my favorite games I've watched all year, and I would love to watch that again. Uh, obviously, it's not going to happen because um, the the Lakers are probably going to get ousted tonight. Uh, I mean, not Lakers. The Rockets are going to get ousted tonight, most likely. Um, yeah, but yeah, I would definitely say probably Boston against the Clippers, and I would lean Clippers just because they have guys who have done it before. Um, nobody on Boston's roster has ever uh, won a, an NBA title. And, I mean, they have Kawhi, who just won one last year. I think that that counts for a lot. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, would, I think I would have definitely said, obviously I would have picked Bucks in six, you know, for the culture going into the year. 
but that's to the surprise of no one. At this point, I would also agree with you with um, I would choose the Clippers to take down the Lakers in the conference finals. And despite what we've what we saw in the last series, um, I would I would also choose the Celtics with having the clear uh, talent advantage over the heat going into um, uh, coming out over the heat and going into the finals, but then losing to the Clippers there and yeah i think that that could potentially be maybe only a a five or six game series there as well um so yeah um thank you again mark for joining us here today at nuck if you buck uh as a reminder to our listeners out there um Please go check out Mark's work at SB Nation. He writes there, and you should also uh, subscribe and download uh, not only these podcasts, but his as well uh, at Indie Cornrows. Um, I know you can definitely uh, find that on Apple Podcasts, as you can these podcasts, but where else can people find you, Mark? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at M Schindler MBA. I, uh, I'm normally there um, talking basketball, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around. And Devin, thanks a ton for having me on, man. I, uh, I'll, I'll talk hoops anytime. Just let me know. Heck yeah! Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Take care, Mark. You too. All right, and then before we head out here on Nuck a few buck, I just wanted to uh, add a little, add another little note here on uh, social justice. Uh, as we've touched on in the past, um, social justice is of the utmost importance and tackling um, the largest pandemic in this country, and that is racism. And it's been an issue f- for since before this country was founded. And I guess in, in latest developments, what has really struck me in recent events was um, the booze coming during the national anthem, during and before, maybe after as well. Um, I honestly didn't want to watch the video so many times, but of the Chiefs and the Texans, um, all they were doing during the national anthem was locking arms. They weren't kneeling. I didn't see. I didn't see any fists raised. I don't know why you would have such a problem with that, but. That just really struck me and and you know I don't I don't really see how you can even argue how locking arms during a national anthem could be of any disrespect towards the flag. It's literally just a symbol showing unity between between the teams during such a trying time in our nation's history. And um yeah, basically just really disappointed in NFL fans. Although I know it's not NFL fans, it's it's something all over the world and well, all over our country specifically that is an issue. And I would just like to again um, draw attention to my white fans out there who obviously benefit from uh, the white privilege that you have and I would urge you to step up and take responsibility and show your support for our fellow Americans and specifically uh, black Americans. And yeah, just speak up if you see any, any racism or social injustice. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting a Ben Franklin quote that I was going to share. Um, but at risk of botching it, it's basically that that uh, change won't happen unless those who aren't who aren't hurt or oppressed from said change are willing to step up and take uh, action for themselves. So that specifically for my white listeners out there, I hope that you do the right thing, speak out, do what you can to fight against racism and social injustice and a reminder that you can go to my social pages on Twitter and Instagram that is nuck if you buck mba spelled just like it sounds besides you is just the letter u and you can uh, donate to the links in my link tree thanks again uh bucks fans and thank you mark and i'll see you in another life brother 
Thank you for tuning in to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast. We hope you join us again. See you in another life, brother.